This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is your public radio station, KUAF. Ahead this hour, if you have a kernel of an idea, you may be able to make that idea pop after the Techstars Startup Weekend in Fayetteville the last weekend of this month. We'll talk with two veterans of the startup world to learn more. And the next season of Undiscipline begins a week from today. I'll talk with both producer and host of the podcast, Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore and Dr. Karee Banton, respectively, later on this show about their third season. But we'll start with a consideration of what exactly defines pregnancy. It's an important conversation in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision allowing states to define their own status regarding legal abortion. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith reports. After the reversal of Roe v. Wade, one of the big questions lawmakers in different states are facing or have already decided upon is how to define pregnancy exactly when dealing with abortion. Arkansas's ban, Act 180, defines a pregnancy from fertilization to birth. And that key word fertilization is important because that's not how healthcare workers and doctors define it. I spoke to Dr. Janet Cathy, an OBGYN at the Planned Parenthood in Little Rock, who said by definition, pregnancy carries a slightly different meaning. When physicians and healthcare workers look at pregnancy, how do you define it so from the moment of that? Fertilization, I suppose. Now, the definition of pregnancy, by definition, pregnancy means implantation of an embryo into the uterus. So fertilization and pregnancy are not interchangeable terms. The thing is, the public and politicians are using these terms interchangeably. So what does that mean for reproductive care? Dr. Lisa Corrigan, professor and director at the University of Arkansas's Gender Studies program, said the language used in the bills opens not just abortions, but also birth control up to a potential legal fight. So this is an attempt to define personhood at fertilization. It will absolutely pave the way for uh, banning birth control, oral contraceptions, IUDs, Norplant, rings, etc. I imagine that the Supreme Court will take up a case challenging Griswold, which of course was the decision that allowed married couples to use birth control in their home and also helped define a right to privacy inside of uh, people's homes. Um, I think that there are a lot of other consequences, though, too. So um, by defining personhood at fertilization, um, that means that women who have spontaneous miscarriages, which are one in five women experience spontaneous miscarriage, that will be criminalized, right? Um, And they will not have access to any kind of abortion care, which, of course, you know, is necessary depending on how far along um, the pregnant person is. It also means that drugs that can affect the development of an embryo or later a fetus will be classified as harmful and not prescribed. So we're already seeing that across the country. People who take um, methotrexone for rheumatoid arthritis, women who are diagnosed with cancer while they're pregnant, they are being denied life-saving medications because of the potential impact on the fetus or the embryo. Right now, Louisiana, Kentucky, and Oklahoma use language in their abortion bans that uses the term fertilization. And as more states define pregnancy for their abortion bans using the term, it has the legal precedent to limit access to contraceptives. Making IUDs and medicines like Plan B or other emergency contraceptives an easy target for legislators using the term. Some label birth control that works to stop fertilization and implantation alike as abortifacients or abortion medication, despite medical professionals like Dr. Kathy saying it isn't. Dr. Kathy, when patients come into Planned Parenthood seeking information, what do you see them most confused about? Right now, some of the big confusion is like, is Plan B an abortion pill? No, Plan B is not an abortion pill. Plan B has to be used within 72 hours of unplanned, unprotected intercourse. So it works by preventing 
implantation. So if you have a positive pregnancy test, plan B is not going to work. So this is not to undo, I I guess, what has already been done, but to prevent it from happening at all? At all. Now, when we look at actual, you know, abortion medications or uh, medications like those, those work after the fact. Am I correct? Like after um, an embryo and an egg is already attached to the lining of the uterus and after implantation, essentially. Right. You can't have an abortion unless you're pregnant. Therefore, any contraception that prevents pregnant prevents pregnancy is not an is not an abortifacient besides the overwhelming incomprehension about the pregnancy process Dr. Corrigan told me that she also worries about the other legal consequences for Act 180, ranging from privacy concerns to where interstate travel will stand after the Dobbs decision. Act 180 certainly has the aid and abet clause that I think is giving lawyers some fits because, of course, it's undefined about what it means to aid or abet, you know, abortion care. But it does signal a really capacious, broad interpretation that is going to lead to an expansive police state. Financial impacts will be felt as well, according to Dr. Corrigan. I think, too, there's a lot of legal like concern here, because if we define personhood at fertilization as that when child support starts, we're going to see, you know, any divorce cases, especially in blue states, they are going to really try, I think, to drill down into where um, financial support for an embryo or fetus begins. So there are going to be financial consequences for fetal personhood that we're just beginning to see. The bottom line is the broad definitions we structure into our legal system, coupled with our lack of comprehension about the ways in which pregnancy work, makes legislating that process even more difficult. For Ozarks at Large... I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. The Arkansas School Safety Commission is giving approval to additional recommendations. The group met again yesterday as it works to finalize a report with recommendations to Governor Asa Hutchinson by October. Several of those recommendations were inspired by the Texas State Legislature's report on a shooting in Uvalde, Texas, that found many doors at Robb Elementary School were unlocked during the shooting. Tim Kane is leading the Arkansas Commission's Physical Safety Subcommittee and helped draft the measure requiring schools to keep doors locked, though he says there have been no such problems here. Our committee, subcommittee, is not aware, and I want to state this carefully, we're not aware of any incident. We're not saying it hasn't happened. We're not aware of any incident where an intruder got inside of a classroom through a closed and locked classroom door and taking the life of a student or teacher. So it's imperative that all classroom doors must remain closed and locked at all times. The recommendation mandates that exterior school doors be locked when students are not changing classes or having fire drills. Other recommendations include having armed officers and improving mental and behavioral health training. The Arkansas Department of Health counts more than 1,000 new cases of people testing positive for COVID-19 in the most recent 24-hour period. But as recoveries continue to outpace new infections, the number of active cases declined by 55. The Department of Health's website shows just fewer than 11,000 people are considered to have active cases in Arkansas. 14 fewer people were hospitalized, with 332 being treated statewide. Eight additional deaths were reported. The group American Atheist says it has reached a settlement in its lawsuit against Arkansas legislator Jason Rapert. In a press release this morning, the group announced the state of Arkansas will pay American Atheist $16,000, and the state senator will unblock his Twitter account from, as the press release describes, his atheist constituents. The group had sued, claiming Senator Rapert discriminated against atheist constituents and violated their freedom of speech. And Airbnb.com is placing a northwest Arkansas city in the top 10 autumn destinations according to the travel firm's booking numbers. In a report yesterday, Airbnb listed Bella Vista as a trending location for autumn getaways, along with places like Ocean City, New Jersey, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Baton Rouge, and Santa Ana, California. Ann Arbor and Baton Rouge, locations of the University of Michigan and Louisiana State University, suggest at least a significant portion of the travel related to college football. 
The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert highlighting area music and area food, will feature a performance by Eddie Canyon and food from Eat My Catfish this Friday, August 19th. Doors open at noon, music begins around 1220, and it's all free. Hear the best in area music and taste the best in area food. The KUAF Lunch Hour this Friday. Make your reservation now at Eventbrite. Search KUAF Lunch Hour. Also, last month's performance from Pura Coco is now available at KUAF's YouTube page. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Killams. With me are the people who are behind... The Undisciplined Podcast, producer KUAF, Dr. Karee Banton and Matthew Moore. Welcome, both of you. Hi, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having us. You bet. We have talked before season one started. We have talked before season two. And now we're at season three. So let's start, Karee, with, I mean, if there's a season three, you must have liked what's happened in seasons one and two. I think Matthew did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he keeps encouraging me to give, like keep you know put stuff with my shenanigans. All right, Matthew, yeah. what have you liked about seasons one and two as the producer? Yeah, I mean it's uh, one of my favorite things about the show is I always come in and I feel like I kind of know what we're talking about, and then we get about halfway through and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just like I've learned so much more than I even thought I could learn about these topics, and you know, we we just keep doing that. This this season has just been a consistent like, oh, I think I know what we're talking about, and then halfway through, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I've just have learned so much through these conversations and the guests that you bring on. Yeah, I I share the same sentiment too. I mean, the reason I'm in academia it's because I like to learn, and I think that's why I think. This show has, you know, gone on to this new season because it's the learning. It's the learning for me, as yeah. as as my people say. Matthew mentioned that he doesn't. He's often surprised in the middle of the conversation what's happening. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. First of all, remember when Jesuits was like, well, the 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 county judge. <laughs> that's not have to be a lawyer. <laughs> right. Yeah. And in her preparation for those questions, uh, she she thought that to be a county judge, you had to have a law degree. And when we sat down for that conversation, Judge Wood opened up by saying, hey, I saw this question here. I just want to let you know, I actually don't have a law degree. And, <laughs> and you could just see the, the cogs turning in her head. Just like, OK, how do I refigure this? How do I talk about this differently so that we can, you know, have the same sort of um, conversation around it without, you know, making yeah. a fool out of either of us. Exactly. Or 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 having the kind of heavy legalities, it's more of a, you know, managerial position and but also the personal side of that as well. So leaning more into that as opposed to, you know, maybe the legalities right. that I originally thought. You're talking about the county judge who uh, ran for lieutenant governor, the Republican nomination as well back in the spring. Someone who doesn't sit down for a lot of interviews. How did you connect and bring him into the studio? Well, I well I, I've known Judge Woods for quite some time. He's uh, the fraternity brother of my husband, so he's a kappa. I mean, you'll hear it on the podcast. I mean, when people are in the black fraternities, they claim that is the only thing that exists. So I was able to perhaps get a little bit of buy-in from that, but I think more so. I met him um, when we were doing the Juneteenth event. He read the proclamation um, at NWAC for Juneteenth celebration. But when I was doing uh, the Nelson Hackett, um, if you all remember from last season, we had Mike Pierce on and um, Mike and I uh, led a summer institute, an NEH summer institute for teachers from all around the country on Nelson Hackett, who was a runaway slave from Fayetteville, ran all the way to Canada and the only slave to have to, to have been extradited back to the to the United States. And so he's over the archives at the county and he's had deeper involvement with the archives as well. So he was also intrigued by that story. So Mike and I did bring the teachers to the county archives and I followed up on, you know, asking him to be on the podcast. And he was, you know, so receptive. And so we were just grateful. So he's in one of the episodes of season three. Matthew, who else will we hear? So one of the guests that I actually brought on, um, I 
I love talking about sports anytime I get a chance to. And we actually had uh, an author and the uh, founder of a 501c3 called the Black Fives. Um, and it's an organization that talks about the pre-NBA basketball in the United States and almost specifically kind of in the New York area. Uh, and we brought him on to talk about, you know, what was it like to be in the NBA in those early days? What was it like to, you know, when we think of basketball now, you know, it is predominantly played by African-Americans, but, you know, the early NBA was very, very white. Um, and Jewish. And Jewish, right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, being able to have that conversation was really fascinating because um, basketball looked a lot different. Absolutely. And um, and it was really fascinating to kind of get into that conversation and to, um, you know, really bring out the fact that Karee is a former netball player herself. And, <laughs> and we talked about that with Excuse Claude. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'll have you know that Jamaica just won against Australia in the Commonwealth yes, Games. Yes, that's right. In netball. Yeah. And that's big. <laughs> no, it is. Okay, it Kyle. Is. <laughs> Matthew will attest to my... Obsession with with sports, sports of all art. kinds. Right. Mm. <laughs> Is there a team? Is there an object that scores a point? I'm all about it. Um, you, you mentioned the live event. You did something for Juneteenth. There has been a series of live events. Do you like those, Cree? I love those. I think going out into the community, um, getting the pulse of the community, um, it's not only something that is central to African and African-American studies, but... Um, as someone who lives in the community, I also want to be a part of. And so that is something I'm hoping we can, you know, continue for next season as well, where we are tackling different issues that are, you know, existing in the community and having these kinds of live events, community forums where we can hold those kinds of discussions. So we did the Juneteenth one. And so, um, you know, it was it, it was a fascinating event that we hope to continue. In addition to that, um, Judge Woods and Claude Johnson from the Black Fives, we've also had um, Professor Angela Mensa talk about body image, particularly black body image, advertising image, Dieting, the ways people, you know, might distort their body, of uh, how that relates to fashion, you know, um, social media and its effect on body image as well. Um, we've had uh, Joy McGowan talk about um, resilient woman mm-hmm. and the kinds of mental health issue that black people, but also people of color um, go through and the particular um, therapeutic lens that she, you know, uses to treat people like that, the kinds of issues that she sees regularly in her practice and how she attends to those. So that was, I think, a very fascinating conversation for me. I enjoy talking about um, therapy <laughs> therapy uh, with people who are like-minded. Yeah, one of the things that I really love about that conversation is we're we're really trying to dispel this idea that therapy is just for white people and this idea that, you know, we all benefit from, you know, feeling our emotions, thinking about how we are the way we are and how to better ourselves and that it shouldn't be a luxury. Oh, absolutely. And I think especially for black people and for people of color and in this context to um, foreigners, right, um, it, it's a particular set of issues because I think people tend to see even when you are, say, a migrant to the United States and you go to therapy, it might be perceived as, oh, you're becoming American. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, that's the white people stuff that you're taking up. And so understanding some of the things that have been normalized, some of the kind of trauma, some of the kind of issues, whether it's in the black community or migrant community or just happening amongst people of color, understanding them and destigmatizing and doing all of that work. I think it's fascinating for listeners to hear how different demographics are processing similar uh, and sometimes different issues as well. Was part of that conversation also about the importance of having therapists of color available? 
Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the things that, like, I really, really resonated with me was this idea that, you know, the thing that really brought joy to the idea that she could become a therapist was seeing one. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. representation matters. Seeing someone who looks like you, who has had similar experiences as you working in a field, reminds you that you can do it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because Judge Wood said the same thing right. about why he wanted to, you know, be who he wanted to be. We also had Patrick Bellegarde Smith, who is a professor emeriti of Africana Studies, and he is a Hungan, um, a voodoo priest. He's Haitian, um, grew up in the Haitian um, elite classes, moved to the United States and became a professor, but is also a voodoo priest. And so he shared lots of fascinating information about, you know, dispelling the kinds of myth about poking stuff into dolls, right, about um, how voodoo relates to social issues of what is the gender of God, mm. right? Mm. Um, you know, what are loas? Um, what are, um, you know, energy? How does voodoo relate to science, the laws of uh, energy, you know, th- laws of thermodynamics, how, how similar understandings of voodoo, how that foundation um, helps us relates, uh, relate to science. Um, he talked about um, American imperialism in, in, in Haiti and how that brought back all of those stereotypes about uh, voodoo as a way of creating the kind of image that the oppressor, that would sanction the oppressor's presence in um, someone, someone else's country. And how Hollywood, I'm sure. Oh, yes. The Hollywoodization of voodoo, because that's the part, I mean, the kind of Edward Said ideas about Orientalism, Mm -hmm. um, similar ideas. You need to justify the conquest, right? So Hollywood plays a significant role in that. Now, Matthew, will we hear your voice more in season three? Yeah, I think that's been... One of the funnest things about doing the show is when when Karina and I first started, you know, I told her, I said, this is your podcast and I'm here to produce. And we sat down for the first interview, you know, almost a year ago at this point, And she was just like, pull your microphone down. Like, I need you to talk. Like, this is a dialogue. This is a conversation. And and now, you know, I think one of the things, I hope at least, one of the things that listeners really appreciate is, is our relationship with each other, the way that we can kind of poke fun at each other and, <laughs> and the way that we're acknowledging, you know, where each other sits. Blind spots, yeah. you know. Things like that, you and know. It, you know, it's it's been it's been very fun and enlightening and very invitational for me. And I hope that other, you know, white listeners who who check out this podcast, you know, maybe they see me as as kind of their voice, and and they are excited to learn something new, excited to expand their horizons, and um, and be invited into the conversation. How much conversation do the two of you have before you sit down with the interview subject? about the conversation much? Well, I think one of the things, and I don't know that Karee does this on purpose, but she kind of just comes right in and says, like, tell me what you know about this. And at first it kind of intimidated me to do that um, because I like to be prepared. I'm a journalist. (laughs) I like to know what I'm getting myself into. But I think in this role it works pretty well that, you know, it's it's me coming forward with here are my – the voodoo conversation was very – enlightening in that way and that it was a lot of, um, tell me what you know about voodoo. And it's like, well, of course, first thing I think of is the voodoo dolls, right? <laughs> and so being able to have that kind of back and forth of like, well, actually, it's kind of more like this and and really playing, I kind of get to play the role of the audience in mm-hmm. our conversations um, and kind of um, come in with what little knowledge I may have and be enlightened. It's not... Y- you have a lot of knowledge, actually, because, you know, when we're having these conversations, the kinds of questions that you ask from, I mean, your vantage point, I think it adds such a level of depth to the conversation. You know, like, for instance, when you talk about growing up in a Christian church and this is what, you know, the idea of God this way or the Bible or the text or whatever. So from a voodoo perspective, you know, what is the point? You know, things like that. I think that is extremely fascinating. I think my scholar brain is, (laughs) I think, you know, sometimes I might the complexity and just like just... (laughs) 
questions that are, um, I think, listeners uh, probably have themselves. I think sometimes I can get lost in the weeds. Mm -hmm. And I think when you ask those kinds of questions, it brings it back to the storytelling and I think what um, listeners really want to engage with. All right. So before the first season, you and I talked, Kari, about – you know how the 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 idea behind undiscipline is African African American studies connected to everything. So season three will have basketball, voodoo, colonialism, therapy, law. It sounds like mission is being accomplished, Abs- connecting to all sorts of things. Absolutely, everywhere, everywhere, and at, at in all times. <laughs> all right. So season three, you've got a lot of the interviews done. You don't stop having ideas, though. Absolutely not. So do you keep, do you write it down and say, oh, I want to do Yes. Um, in fact, Kyle, I. Kyle, you should look at our, our text conversations. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I was um, just watching a documentary last night about the wife of um, Michael, the f- former prime minister of Jamaica, Michael Manley. And her name is Beverly Manley. And she, you know, she brings up very interesting issues about how, you know, Jamaica approached feminism and the black power movement and being a black person who was married to a person who was perceived to be white in Jamaica. And I know a professor who was working with her in the movement who is here at the University of Arkansas. So I'm going to be talking to Matthew about (laughs) interviewing her next. Excellent. Uh, When does season three, two weeks from... This conversation here? Yes, yes. August 24th is when we're launching it. Congratulations. Thank you, Kyle. Great, great, great. We'll talk about season four before season four starts? Absolutely. Absolutely. There will be a season four, right? Absolutely. Yes. Already renewed. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Curry Batten, Matthew Moore, thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you so much. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Springdale. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets at centralarkansatickets.com. We've lost Art Herzberg. Art, who is 97, was the father of Amy Herzberg, a co-founder of Theater Squared and T2's associate artistic director. Art was among the first wave of GIs to land on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, just days after he turned 19. He was part of the 90th Infantry Division. His service continued in fighting across the front lines of France. He shared many of his experiences in World War II with Amy, and later with Bob Ford, his son-in-law. Those stories, funny ones and not as funny ones, were the inspiration for Bob's play, My Father's War. For two separate T2 runs, Amy Herzberg portrayed Art Herzberg on stage. In June 2021, Art watched some of those performances, and five days after his 96th birthday, he went on stage with Bob and Amy to talk to the audience who had just seen a Sunday matinee performance. He was asked about the anti-Semitism he experienced while in the Army, something that was depicted in the play. He told us that Sunday afternoon that his earliest experiences of anti-Semitism were as a child, when his family was the only Jewish family in his Chicago neighborhood. The majority of the people who you would say are anti-Semitic are really decent people. They're Americans. They they get up in the morning, they go to work, they do their job, they come home. But way down deep inside of them, they got this from their parents or their parents' parents, who some guy went to work and got laid off by a Jewish employer and he went home and talked about the rotten Jews and the little kid. He heard that. Who's he going to believe? He's going to believe mommy and daddy. I'm not saying that's the root of all that. Art Herzberg had 211 days in combat and was in a hospital for two and a half months after the Battle of the Bulge. He was awarded the Bronze Star. In a remembrance posted on the Theater Squared Facebook page, it is written that Art often said it was crucial to talk about his experiences in the trenches, so we're less likely to repeat history. 
A true patriot, he never forgot why he and his buddies fought the war. That Sunday afternoon in June 2021, he was complimented often and thanked often for his bravery. I'm not sure if I was brave. I was probably more scared not to do it than to do it. And I hate to say this to you guys, but it's because I'm Jewish and because so many people felt the way they felt. And I said it in part of my language, I'm just as tough as you are. Art was tougher than any of us. But if you met him even once, you knew he didn't lead with his toughness. He led with his heart and his humor. He was a wonderful storyteller, but he left as many stories as he told. Everybody who met him had a great anecdote about their encounter. From that same essay on the T2 Facebook page, he celebrated the U.S. in all its diversity and generosity and had no patience for intolerance or prejudice of any kind. May we all try to be more like Art Herzberg. This is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. Later this month, people with ideas and people who can guide ideas into reality will gather together for a weekend. The Techstars Startup Weekend will be hosted at Startup Junkie on the Fayetteville Square. The 54 hours are billed as a way to learn how to think, work, and build like a startup in just a weekend's time. This week, we invited two of the people who will guide participants on the weekend of August 26th through the 28th, to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Jeff Amarine is founder and managing director of startup Junkie Consulting, and Eric Denbohr is a blockchain innovator. Jeff says the weekend is put together by people with experience at this sort of exercise. Techstars is one of the, originally started by Brad Feld, who's written books like Startup Community and Venture Deals. He sits in Boulder. And the whole idea is over the course of 54 hours, starting on a Friday through a Sunday afternoon, you get together really creative people, so designers, engineers, entrepreneurs, and you mash them together and you run them through a process. And at the end of that, you hope there's some actual startups that come out of it. So it's a little bit like a design sprint. It's a little bit like a hackathon. But it's a mix of interdisciplinary people that all get together. And then through the end of that, they're presenting what they came up with at the end of the, of the 54-hour period. 54 hours, that's, you know, a little bit more than two days. Yeah, it's, is- it's, it's essentially two and a half days. But it's one of the things that a startup weekend format will do will allow you to compress time. Because the teams are all – you kind of lock them in there and you throw pizza and beer and refreshments in. And then the magic happens. And it's amazing what you can accomplish in a short amount of time with highly creative people that aren't focused on anything else and they aren't distracted. So that's kind of the idea. So to give you some examples of real companies that have come out of this in the past, some local and some otherwise, More Technologies, which was run by a couple of young guys here locally and was recently acquired, was a robotics company that was kind of like a Lego kit for robots and drones. A couple of U of A students, Canon Canon Reeves and uh, Peyton Smith were the two founders. And they created that thing during the startup weekend, built it. Got some funding for it and then actually sold it to another company that they became part of. Two others that you might have heard of nationally, one is called Zapier, which is a it's a productivity software that will allow you to glue one application to another. And a bigger, much bigger company now called Equipment Share, which is about a they employ three thousand people. They they were doing about a billion dollars of revenue at most recent count. They came out of one at Columbia, Missouri, mm-hmm. close to the University of Missouri. So it can launch real companies. That's kind of part of what it's supposed to do. The other part is community building, just getting highly creative people together so that those creative collisions can happen. 
what do I, as someone who's interested in participating, what do I need to bring? Just your, your ideas, your brain power, your connections, you know, your, your, gra- your grit, your tenacity, your willingness to work. That's all you need to bring, really, is just show up, and, and that's it, really. How developed uh, should my ideas be, though? It can be it can be pretty immature. I mean, really? pretty uh, underdeveloped. So there'll be some people that will come there. Like for example, some of the folks that that Eric knows that works with in the, in the blockchain side, they may have really well developed things that they're already working on, but they need some additional team members. Other people might just have something they've always been thinking about, and they'll come there and have an opportunity right at the front end. Everybody shows up and they kind of do their 60-second elevator pitch. And then that idea, you can imagine, gets put on a whiteboard with a sticky. Then the whole group will vote by taking other colored stickies under the ones that they want to partner on to work on. And so at the end of that, you might have 50 ideas initially. It'll get narrowed down to the top five or six or 10. Teams will form around that and then off they go. But these can be brand new ideas. You just thought of them the same day, really. Eric, from the block side, blockchain side of it, what, what could be some ideas that come in? Oh, oh, oh blockchain is so new, it can be anything. Uh, we've seen, uh, well, there was one guy that I met, actually, he's really interested in coming to this, mm-hmm. and he wants to do uh, um, uh, a, a form of exchange. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, that's a big task. And I said, yeah, but we're going to have some robots in there and do some things. And I was like, it was very interesting. We ended up having coffee, by the way. But yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. So. Well, okay, let me step back. Exchange. What? Well, I see. Not all of us may know exactly. Yeah, well, so most of the exchanges are, are uh, you know, crypto exchanges where you go in and you can exchange Bitcoin for Ethereum, for instance. You go in with cash money that you kind of invest and then you go to exchanges and then you can buy Bitcoin or you can buy Ethereum or your Cardano or whatever you, you're interested in and, and hopefully done your research on. I think... When he said exchange, I think he is talking more of an idea exchange. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit vague, and I don't think that he had everything kind of planned out right. But I, I'm definitely interested in hearing what he has to say more. Sure. And, I, and I did say that, hey, this is something you need to bring up there, and, and we'll see what happens. And you, and you can you can imagine with, in the blockchain space, it could be somebody that's got some spin on NFT, some yeah. spin on on you know, play to earn, uh, some spin on yep. uh, some of the, the Ethereum or Cardano-related yeah. sort of uh, smart contracts. I mean, there's it, that whole Web3 thing is so big. That was one of the reasons why we said, well, we need a track in this thing yep. where we're going to have a, an award or a prize tied specifically to that, one tied to outdoor recreation ventures, and then one tied to more general, whatever yeah, people yeah, come up with. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. I'm hoping to see with. something in the metaverse space. Yeah. Yeah, that would be super cool, actually. Yeah. You know, so. Outdoor rec? I think we all have a pretty good idea sure. of what outdoor rec could be. Sure. And this is a place that is, is exploding. Exactly. Between mountain biking and kayaking. Uh, general sounds... It's general. It could be any any entrepreneur that's got an idea. So, for example, I mean, what do we mean by general? It could be anything from somebody's got a new concept around a food truck. Somebody's got a new direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. Somebody's got a new software platform, maybe not related to Web3, that uh, it has some B2B, business-to-business functionality. It could be really anything else. We didn't want to limit it so that it was narrow just to outdoor recreation and uh, Web3, we really want to have that other category so it would be open to the other people that feel like maybe their ideas don't fit neatly into yeah. one of those. Yeah, and I think it's important to promote that, actually, yeah. because I think that most people that are coming to this are going to have that software or yeah. you know Web3 or whatever in mind. But I do think that anybody comes in and say, hey, I'm going to grow pigs in a, this kind of environment. You know, that's and that's a, okay. Yeah. And that's super okay. Yeah. I think that's very important. Yeah, it would be it would be kind of cool, and we, we've seen this in the past where people will have farm to table concepts, they'll have yeah. ag related concepts. I mean, it, it's open. So so sometimes startup related stuff, and frankly, our brand, startup junkie brand, uh, as being principally involved with this, we're associated only with tech, but we work just as much with conventional small businesses of every flavor as we do with high tech startups. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, one thing that I'm thinking about in the general, there could be someone that is an artist. 
that is coming in with an artist thing and then he just meets some people in there that are, is in the NFT or blockchain yeah. space yep. and there will be a collaboration there. And th those are the moments that I always find is so magical because these guys are coming in with something completely different and end up going into that space that yes opens up for them that wouldn't do otherwise that's a part of it that's so cool is is this is a way of being intentional about managing those creative collisions so some people will come there and they'll already have their team or they already have people they're planning to work with a hundred percent guaranteed you'll meet someone there you didn't know you needed to know and that's kind of the magic of this process as yeah. much as anything else yeah. well it may be someone you would have never run into exactly before exactly and and now that we're we're finally kind of I don't want to say post-pandemic because that, that could be charged, but we're at least managing through the issue at this point. Mm -hmm. People are a little more comfortable with being back together for in-person events, and it's so much easier to create those kind of connections in an in-person environment than it is through Zoom or anything that's virtual. It's yeah. just it's just easier, I think, yeah. to make yeah. it happen. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What's the room like in the first of first couple of these uh, 54 hours? I mean, you've probably got these enthusiastic people it's, with ideas. It's kind of like uh, mildly managed <laughs> chaos, right? I, I mean, you've got everybody running around and there's lots of people are thinking about the ideas they have. There's also a level of anxiety because people are, there's going to inevitably be people that are trying to decide, should I pitch this idea or not? You know, are people going to judge me? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you kind of get into it, right? Where we're like, all right, it's time. Give it your best shot. And they stand up without any, any real rehearsal and they talk about what they're going to do for 60 seconds and it's on to the next one. And it's not like they show up with PowerPoint slides or anything else. This is just off the cuff. Here's what I'm doing. This is why I think it can work, et cetera. And then that gets written down and off they go. And then the next part is kind of like uh, – uh, you know, match.com in a way, in that people are then looking at what's out there and they're like, well, which one of those things do I really think was the coolest that I would want to spend the next two and a half days working on? Okay, so you'll have the idea of people. Who are the people there that serve as mentors? Yeah, so so mentors, mentors, kind of, kind of guys like Eric yeah. and myself and others, and, and we'll have a whole bunch of them. I think we're going to have maybe 35 or 40 mentors there, but you'll have people with engineering discipline, software background, business knowledge, Web3 knowledge, outdoor ventures knowledge, guys like uh, Phil Shellhammer, who runs the the uh, Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program, and others that will, it will be people that can be utilized by these teams as they form to as a gut check, you know, as, as provide insights, provide coaching to help. A big part of this is customer discovery, this idea of now we've got this idea. Now we've got this team form. How do we know if it's an idea is any good? So they'll they'll go through this process of trying to make um, customer discovery calls to find out if they're solving a problem anybody really cares about. Yeah. They kind of need to do that. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah, uh, these guys that are there are very important. I think. Oh, the mentors are a big yeah, part yeah, of it. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of times someone will come up and have a super duper idea, and then they come up to me and ask and say. I'm not so sure you're thinking about the right product here or the right venue to do this. Have you thought about this instead? Yep. And uh, th that that uh, is super helpful. So and, and I, I love that fact that we have people coming from the Web3 blockchain space. We have people coming from the outdoors and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And there are people with knowledge that can tell them and say, super duper idea or maybe we need to rethink this a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a it, – uh, uh, most of the mentors – it's kind of a Socratic process, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not there to crush their dreams, although sometimes that happens, right? You're really there to ask good questions of them. So have you thought about this? Or you might need to talk to that. Uh, my philosophy on a lot of this is the market is kind of ruthlessly efficient. And we're typically a data point of one as a mentor. So I, I won't, you wouldn't hear me say, well, in my 35 years of experience, you know, this is what's worked. It's more of these are the kinds of questions I would be asking if I were you as you try to find out if you're solving yeah. a problem that someone really yeah. cares about. Absolutely. You've both mentioned the term Web3. I don't think everybody knows what Web3 relates to, what it covers. It's you overused to... jargon now. It's kind, <laughs> yeah, of a, it it's kind of a grab yeah. bag of, of a whole bunch of other jargon. So if you were to if you were kind of, kind of come up with a hierarchy of jargon, Web3 is this catch-all that's there for blockchain. Yeah. It's there for NFTs. It's there for cryptocurrency. And I'm probably Metaverse, yeah. Metaverse. Yeah. It's all this kind of new stuff where people think, if you think about the first generation of, of internet was 
transport and communication. It was access, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the second was things like Facebook and, and you know, all the other layered stuff. This third one is intended to be – this is the next generation of all this stuff, how it becomes – even more engaging, really, even yeah. more utility. Give, give more detail to that. That's your Okay, so web one, I would say it's more the static page. Yeah. In the old days when you went into uh, internet was, you went to uh, Wikipedia, you know, and mm-hmm. it was a static page and you read it and that was pretty much it. Web three, uh, web two, I mean, sorry, uh, is more where you start interact a little bit, but it's more that someone else built the page. Uh, Facebook is a good example of that, where they own, you know, all the data. They own, right. you do the interactions in there. You can post a video or whatever it is, and then they kind of reap the benefits from it. Web three, I want to say, has become more of that you start owning your own um, yeah. You know, um, if you post something, you will get paid f- for, for the stuff that you are putting out there. And these companies like uh, Facebook will come in and say, hey, yeah, you can post it on here and we will take a small portion of it. But, you know, or you can start up your own thing and then you can just get paid for it by yourself. Uh, you know, that's where the blockchain point yeah. comes in. So, and w- I mean, we can sit for hours and talk about that. But, but it really does yeah. drive towards kind of individual yeah. ownership yes. of the things you create which yeah. is which is part of the reason why it can change the way people think about art about music about a whole variety of things oh yes absolutely yeah, yeah. their ownership especially with arts i, I love that mm-hmm. part because uh, you know you start posting art on online and you start getting paid for what you've done there's a lot of kids out there for instance when it comes to music they make their music and everything and they put it on youtube and they get a little bit you know uh, depending on how many views they have but they imagine a world where you're actually posting it on something and you get paid for everybody that goes there and listens to it or looks at it or whatever. And, and the money goes to you. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the ownership of it comes in. I can imagine some people, you know, need a gentle nudge because they're, they're a little, you know, I don't know if my idea is good enough. Yep. I wonder if you also have some people go, you know, I've got this great idea. I don't want to share too much of it because... I want to keep it somewhat proprietary to me. Yeah, and I, I know Eric probably got some perspective on that. I'll give you my perspective okay. on it. And it's, you know, there's about a seven and a half billion to one chance that your idea is not original. Right. Uh, the key thing is if you want to go from it just being a dream or and it's something that you imagine to something real, you've got to get to the point where you're thinking about execution. And execution only happens if you can build a team. There's very little that you can do by yourself. So some people will be like, oh, it's such a super secret. I can't tell you. Somebody will steal it. There's that risk. But you're never going to build anything if you if you lock up your ideas in a vault and never talk to anybody about it. At some point, you got to trust people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all I can say is that if you really feel like that, and you don't want to share or don't want to take the risk, stay home. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all yeah. I can say. I mean, that, because I can't change your mind. Yeah, you know, I can just say that we're gonna have super fun, and we hope everybody that comes there is gonna have as much fun as we and get something out of it. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think. Uh, you can say there's some really nice prices also. Oh yeah, oh, yeah please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so to to provide additional incentive, and it's not all about monetary awards, but it, but it certainly can help, right? So there's going to be three five thousand dollar prizes, one for each track, and we'll have a set of judges that will decide based on the merit and how far they got who's most deserving of those. But yeah, it's five thousand dollars in cash, and there'll also be some non monetary awards as well. So. To, in, in the spirit of full attribution, the ones that are really making the magic here, mm-hmm. aside from, you know, the uh, it, blockchain NWA, yeah. right? Blockchain NWA. I, I always want to say NWA blockchain. Blockchain NWA. It works both ways. The the, the, the blockchain uh, center of excellence is the U of A. The Venture Center is teaming with us. Awesome organization. Wayne Miller and his crew. It'll be Startup Junkie Foundation, which is R five hundred one C three. Caleb uh, Tally. It'll be folks like uh, Jordan Carlisle, who has run a number of these, who's at the Whole Health Institute. So there's going to be a bunch of people there that have come together to put this on. And, of course, Techstars, because it's mm-hmm. their intellectual property. It's their format, and, and we, we love working with those guys. But, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty cool, and there will be some interesting awards at the end of it that hopefully will be enough to catalyze those winners to say, I can take the next step. Jeff Amarine is founder and managing director of Startup Junkie Consulting, and Eric Denbor is a blockchain innovator. You can also hear Eric on the KUAF-produced podcast, The Future of Money. They discuss the Techstars Startup Weekend that takes place at the Pryor Center from Friday evening, August 26th, 
through Sunday the 28th. Sign-ups for the weekend can be made at startupjunkie.org and venturecenter.org. At NPR and KUAF, we continue to bring stories that enrich and shape your life while keeping you informed. That wouldn't be possible without your support. So from our family at KUAF, thanks for making public radio a priority. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we can help you make weekend plans. Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis will be with us to highlight what I'm sure is going to be a busy weekend for live music. His checklist, plus a new sound perimeter from Leo Ribe, and much more at noon and 7 p.m. tomorrow on Ozarks at Large on KUAF 91.3 and at any time with the free Ozarks at Large podcast. It's been three years since we were live at Roots Festival for Ozarks at Large. This is a live edition of Ozarks as part of the Fayetteville Roots Festival. But Friday, August 26th, we're back with a live radio show from the Fayetteville Public Library. Musicians at this year's Roots Festival will join us on the library's new event center stage. Join us in person or live right here on the radio for the return of the live Ozarks at Large Roots Festival broadcast Friday, August 26th at noon. Oh, it's going to be fun. We look forward to seeing you there Friday, August 26th at the Fayetteville Public Library. It's free. And like I just said, if you can't join us there, you can join us right here on 91.3 KUAF. An artist exploring the cyclical nature of life and other dimensions is going to be honored as the Bella Vista Artist of the Month Thursday. This will take place in the community room at the Bella Vista Public Library. Spend Love is a traditionally educated artist who's gone beyond traditional realism to explore art as a way to express passion, emotion, and philosophy. Reception sponsored by the Bella Vista Arts Council. You can check out the artist's work at jspendlove.com. Hot Air Balloons returning to Drakefield this summer. The SOAR fundraiser hosted by and benefiting Open Avenues, scheduled for August 26th and 27th. In addition to the Hot Air Balloons, live music, a car show, and more, you can find out about tickets at SOARNWA.com. Cycling enthusiasts, as you're probably well aware, are working to make mountain biking a big lure to draw visitors to northwest Arkansas with the Oz brand. And now swimmers are taking a similar approach. The Walmart Oz Mile Swim will be an open water competition in Beaver Lake in September. Last year's race brought 60 swimmers into the water. Organizers say they expect about 300 swimmers this autumn. The Walmart Oz Mile Swim has been fashioned after the Midmar Mile that takes place in South Africa. And a partnership between the two races means the fastest female and male swimmers from the Walmart Oz Mile Swim will be offered the opportunity to participate in the Midmar Mile in February 2023. Walmart Oz Mile Swim will consist of four distinct waves of competition with awards for first, second, and third in each race and male and female overall winners. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Goodman, Missouri. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Matthew Moore, Karee Banton, and Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. Our deep appreciation to the University of Arkansas Women's Giving Circle, whose support makes it possible for us to easily access 32 years of Ozarks at Large episodes. Thank you for being with us, whether this was your first time to hear our show or maybe you've been along the ride for all 32 previous years. Oh, and by the way, additional material today provided by the newsroom at KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. More about Daryl at his Facebook and Instagram feeds. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again soon.